everyone. This is Allison from the Locally Sourced Podcast. And on today's episode, I have Carol O'Loughlin. Carol is a longtime resident of Stoneham and a member of the Stoneham Coalition for Safety and Healthy Community. Carol, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course. I know how busy things can be, so I appreciate you taking the time to let our community know about this awesome coalition and um, just what you have to offer, especially now with everything going on. Did you want to just tell us about yourself a little bit and how you're involved in Stoneham? Yes, actually, um, my husband and I moved here about um, 30 years ago, and we've raised our three daughters here. So I actually grew up in North Carolina and Virginia. So if you hear a little accent, that's why. Um, but we've been here, you know, as I said, my, our children grew up here, our three daughters, and they're all adults now. Um, I um, got connected to the coalition about, you know, in its first year. And the coalition, I believe, was formed around 2014. Okay. And what brought you to the coalition? What was it about their mission that really stood out to you to say, I wanted to join uh, I, what happened was that um, some of the young adults in our community were, um, you know, using some uh, opioids, and I was one of one of the one of my daughter's friends actually passed away of an overdose, and uh, the kids were devastated. You know, they were out of high school, but high school was still really their connection. Um, and so as a, you know, watching their, um, sadness and grief, I just felt like I needed to do something. I, I felt a little bit helpless as an individual. And when I learned that there was a coalition, which was already in place, I, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I can join and learn more. Maybe there's something I can do. You know, a lot of times when you're, joined collectively, you can make a difference. And so that's really why I joined. I I knew I had a lot to learn. So I just kind of joined to learn and to see if there was any, you know, like any proactive kinds of actions we could take uh, as a community. And I kind of wanted to demonstrate to my kids that when you are aware of issues, you try to be part of the solution. So that's that was kind of the thinking at the time. Right. And it's sad, unfortunately, certain instances like what your daughters and you went through make us more aware of what's going on in our lives and what's going on in the community and, you know, join groups and become volunteers for such um, community groups like this. So I'm sorry to hear about the passing. It's never easy. And, you know, unfortunately, when we hear continuous stories about this, it just shows that no matter the past, present, or future, this is always an issue. And it's something that needs to be addressed continuously. And especially now with COVID going on, I think it's just something we need to address more and more because now we're not in person with the kids or even just adults or young adults, it's harder to connect with them and see the signs. So do you want to tell us a little about the coalition and the mission and how it all began? Absolutely. So about I think it was in the fall of 2013, um, there were um, some overdoses, uh, not necessarily fatal, although there had been some in the town that I didn't even know about. Um, so there are families suffering. And um, at the time, Shelly McNeil, who is a, a select board member, um, was, I believe she was on the school committee. 
at that time, about seven years ago. And she uh, really is our founder, the founder of this group. And she raised the issue with uh, the superintendent at the time, Les Olson. And they um, you know, brought in a lot of community stakeholders to say, what can we do? Um, so they came up with the idea of forming a coalition with kind of key people, family members who've, you know, who've had loved ones who've struggled with addiction, um, some family members who've lost people to addiction, um, and then just various stakeholders from businesses. You know, it, it wound up being quite a representative group in our town. Um, but that's really how it started. The mission, um, actually the official mission, I'll, I'll read to you. Um, the coalition is dedicated to improving the quality of life um, for everyone in Stoneham by fostering evidence-based substance abuse prevention strategies with a primary focus on our youth, working collaboratively and providing information on available community resources. So it's pretty straightforward. Um, and I think what has been always rather amazing to me is the response in this community. I would say we have 100 people on our distribution list who are have had active roles at some time. We have a monthly meeting and there are typically, you know, 30 or more people in attendance, even virtually now that we've had to go virtual. That's amazing. And it kind of just shows how tight-knit Stoneham is and they truly care about one another. You know, some people say the negative side of small town is everyone knows each other, but that's also a positive because it just shows that how much we support one another. I was talking about this in the past with a few people on our, the show is just Stoneham's possibly a middle-class white suburban town, technically in a sense of uh, description, but it's not so prominent that we notice drug use, you know, mental health awareness, because they figure everyone's quote unquote well off, but it's very prevalent and it's maybe more prevalent than what we know. As you said, we weren't, you weren't aware. And I'm not always aware of, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't know who had the drug issues or who was struggling with mental health and drug use. Um, so it's wonderful that this came about to help support the community and make this a subject that everyone should be aware of because you know drugs just doesn't discriminate any age level. It's really, it's there and it's prominent in anybody no matter what age or race. Um, what is it about that mission that really stands out to you that says, this is what I love to do. This is why I'm part of this group. For me, it was about physically doing something to educate people, to start talking about the stigma associated with mental health issues and substance use issues, and to really um, kind of have a conversation about how really, frankly, it doesn't discriminate and that we just haven't talked about it. And that most families, if they really look around, are all impacted in some way by addiction, mental health issues, and as you said, right now during COVID, people are so isolated. Um, so I joined so I could do something like physically, not just sit at a meeting and talk. And one of the things that the coalition has been doing all along, although we're, we're, we're having to get creative right now because we can't do all of the forums we used to have, but we've sponsored um, 
forums for community, community conversations on mental health, where we've brought in uh, mental health, behavioral health experts. Uh, that actually happens to be my field. I work for the Department of Mental Health. So I kind of brought in, I would often raise that as um, a lot of people may or may not know that mental health issues, some of the, some of the issues people have are tied to trauma. Um, and sometimes substance use becomes kind of like a part of the complexity of someone's issues. It may not be their primary issue, but it may be, you know, combined, um, compounding kind of the difficulties that people face. So I really wanted to shine some light on that as well. Um, but we also have, you know, again, members who, um, you know, really want to, like, actually the very first uh, vigil we held, um, Frank Gould, who's a member, who's also on the, um, a, a, a captain at the fire, fire department, he actually held um, classes on uh, administering Narcan. So, you know, it's like a very concrete thing we could do to just educate the community um, about how to assist in an overdose situation and how to carry, how to access and carry Narcan. Now, I think most people know it's available, um, you know, at for free at your pharmacy. You do need to um, use your insurance to cover the cost, but um, anybody can, can access and carry Narcan. It's, you don't need a, there's like a statewide prescription for it. It's a universal prescription. And um, so I've gotten it a couple of times to have just in case, just in case I come across a situation where I, I need to administer or if one of my kids needed to bring it somewhere. That's interesting. I never knew you could just get it as a prescription. And oh, that's yeah. Well, I hope that, that's helpful for people to know. It's a standing prescription. And really the reason anyone can really get it and carry it is that um, if you administer it and come to find out it wasn't an overdose, there's no harm to the person, you know. Um, so there's and there is also something called a good, the Good Samaritan Law, uh, you know, covers you if you administer it. And, um, you know, say the person doesn't live you. It's kind of like with CPR. It's a, it's a good faith effort to try to assist someone in need. So, yeah. Good very thing. interesting mm -hmm. you know it's sad unfortunately that this has to come to this it's yeah. kind of like back in the day when we had to be trained in the ejection pens for um allergies and now it's yeah. this um mm -hmm. but it's good to know that it's available to anyone and that's i think yeah something that the teens and parents should know nowadays yeah. is maybe yeah. it's just something that all teens should be trained in in knowing how to administer something like that um yeah. if they should ever quite simple sorry yeah but it's no it's, and that it's and that's good to know it is i think it's scary when it happens but knowing that they are um ready to help out the person that might give them the confidence to be aware and know what to do so do you do trainings like that in the high school or does the police department or fire department do that you know, type we, of training oh the narcan training yes you know i have to check and see if we've done it in the high school um we definitely have done it many times. In fact, Frank's done it a number of times. We've offered it on town day. Um, we sort of had a sign at our booth when we were giving out literature and trying to engage people. We've done a number of things at town day. We usually have us, of course, we didn't have one this year, unfortunately, but um, you know, maybe we'll be able to do that again next, next year. We'd have a lot of literature, um, resource information. We would often have a uh, run for recovery that morning. Um, 
something the Boys and Girls Club used to sponsor to raise funds for them. And they actually kind of generously gave that event to the coalition and we've run it for three years to try to raise some funds. Um, and uh, so, and then, so that would be like sort of an awareness raising thing in the morning and a fundraiser. And then, so sometimes we would have extra t-shirts and we would give them out at the booth along with some other really nice items donated by Stone and Bank, who's one of our partners. We have many corporate partners and local town partners. We have tons of people. As you said, this community is so generous. Um, so we would do that, do some education. We've done something called hidden in plain sight, which is a display that we can actually bring anywhere. And I've noticed that some coalitions are doing it virtually. So that's something we'll think about as we meet as a coalition next time, um, is just to talk about whether or not that might be helpful. And that is to kind of clue parents in on where drugs might be hidden in the in the, in the teenager's room. And that's uh, so hard because mm -hmm. I, you know, as a, when I was a teen, I never really thought about that. But now as a parent, mm -hmm. You know, there's so many things out there you have to be aware of and look for. Are there certain things you kind of remember about it that you're like, oh my goodness, I never would have thought a teen could hide it that well? Well, yeah, there were lots of things. One was the the old cut out a hole in the book. Um, like, a, especially the more, well, you want to be kind of careful if, if the kid has Plato or Plato <laughs> or a Socrates book and you know they're not going to read it, you might, that might be a clue right there. Um, but they, you know, some, some people will, will cut out sort of a, an um, area in the book where they could hide something. So sort of needing to go through things. And um, um, I believe there was one where dryer sheets are involved so they could mask the smell of pot or something. Um, you know, I'll have to think um, alcohol in a um, water bottle. Um, there's, I have to, oh, I don't want to tell, say the wrong thing. You can tell by shaking um, a bottle of water that it's a different look than when you shake a bottle of vodka. So, um, I don't want to say the wrong thing. One, you know, sort of has, um, you can kind of see some something in it and the other you can't, so bubbles or something like that. But I don't want to say it wrong, but that's just a, a, a tip. You could kind of test right. it out and see that you can easily see. Of course, you can just open it and smell it too, well, obviously. Right, well, and you know, it's, one, you know, it's interesting because kids, think, unfortunately and thankfully to social media, we can be aware of the trends going on and the kids can see certain ways to do that. And, um, you know, it's, it's just incredible how social media can influence that in the promotion of alcohol and drugs and so forth. Um, in addition to the Narcan training, do you guys take trainings or offer any other trainings for the community or residents? We have not done any in a while. Last right. year, there was a virtual uh, parent university uh, which covered a lot of topics, um, some about substance use and, and some topics on, um, you know, mental health issues, um, stress, um, you know, the stress that kids, you know, have, kids need to manage their stress. Um, we've had, um, we, we have a partnership with other coalitions. Um, Mystic Valley sort of has a coalition of coalitions and lots of resources through uh, government funds that we often benefit from and they will bring in um, noted speakers. We've had people come in. We've done films at the um, Stoneham 
um, theater. We have actually had authors come and present at the Stoneham Library um, on, you know, their books, their memoirs, something, you know, about their own experience with, with recovery. Um, so yes, we've done a lot of those events in the past. And as I said, we've done a couple community conversations on mental health where we've also had mental health providers there to share resources and talk. We've had uh, um, people in recovery speak at some of these forums as well um, and just kind of share their experience with parenting as a person in recovery. Um, and also uh, young, young people who've sort of gotten into a better place and what the recovery journey was like. So all those things, and I think initially some of these events would not really draw a lot of people because we, what we thought, we, we kind of felt like there may be stigma associated with attending something like that. But I think it's, it's starting to shift. I think we're starting to have more conversations in society in general. And it seems like people are open to that. Um, so we are looking at doing some virtual events. I'm looking into a couple of different um, resources that I've heard about recently. Um, so hopefully no. we'll, we'll get that back going in the spring. And I was just going to ask you that in terms of when it first started to now, have you noticed the participation increasing, you know, with the stigma and kind of becoming more open about the topics? Are people more interested in the topics and I think so. coalition and now more open yeah. to talking about the stigma of mental health and drug usage? Yeah. And I think the people who are part of the coalition who shared a little bit of their own story in that meeting have kind of made it more comfortable for other people to kind of feel like they're not alone. Um, we have a lot of courageous people on that coalition who have kids who are in recovery. Um, some kids who are in and out of recovery, not doing so well all the time. And, and there's sort of just a sense of support there, but not everybody is personally directly affected. So it really is quite a, a, a team of people who really, um, you know, benefit from one another's either knowledge or support or personal stories that they're willing to share. And I just, I have found that, I don't know, really powerful. Right. Is there any stories that are really memorable to you? I, of course, in terms of, you know, just keeping their names on the down low, but in terms of stories or something that really just hit you and said, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I think for me, just the pain um, that parents have experienced in this community um, is why I'm doing this. And um, I'm not immune, you know, my family's had some issues too. And um, I feel supported, you know, when I understand that there aren't easy answers and this is a family journey that each person has to, take care of themselves while trying to support their loved one. Um, there, uh, Chris Heron is uh, an athlete who we've actually brought in for some conversations with the high school students. Um, his story is pretty interesting. And I would suggest if anybody wants to Google him, um, you know, uh, that might be great. I know that some people on the coalition have family members in recovery and they have shared those stories. And some of, a couple of our members actually uh, facilitate, um, oh, people do so much beyond just the coalition, but then they come back and kind of share with us. We have members who facilitate um, parent support groups uh, that a couple of our members co-facilitate. We have folks who um, 
collect items for people who are homeless in Boston and go in once a month at least to bring them food, supplies, backpacks, socks, sweatshirts, clothing for the cold. In fact, there's a group going there today of members from the coalition, but there are other people in the community who join them. So it's like one group kind of connects to another group and depending on what people are interested, you know, it's not the coalition that does this, it's these people who are in the coalition who then connect with a lot of other people in the community. And what I've learned is that people are constantly dropping stuff off at their house. And so they always have, you know, what they need uh, to take. And I will say that we usually do post on the coalition Facebook page or on the substance abuse uh, coalition Facebook page, what's needed. And people can help out that way if they want to just donate, you know, that. In fact, I saw that there was a link uh, this week. To, you can just go onto Amazon and just go to their wish list and just order and it'll just be delivered to the to the homes of the people who do this great work. That's um, wonderful. We have a lot of caring people in this community. Lots of organizations support us. Um, I, I mentioned Stoneham Bank. I don't want to leave anybody out. Hallmark Health is a great partner. Individuals are great partners. Um, Boys and Girls Club is one of our, they're on the board and on, you know, on our committee and constantly working with us, collaborating with us. Um, and as I said, many of our restaurants have donated gift cards and things like that. So just a super, super community to be part of. That's wonderful. I think, you know, it's like you said, it's a huge, broad community and so many residents. And I think this topic hits so many people in so many ways, especially now. Um, it's just something that we're all well aware of and somehow been impacted negatively, positively, however it may be. Um, so in terms of that, I think everyone just wants to start giving back and helping out the community and just, you know, support them in any way possible mm -hmm. possible so it's wonderful that you guys are giving everyone the opportunity to do that in ways they can in safe ways with covid but in addition to just know that there's someone in the community that they can donate to and support in that retrospect in terms of the coalition how can you become involved in it what are the ways you can volunteer as a resident well we have a monthly meeting um and it's virtual right now um, and anyone can join that. And I um, just trying to think of the best way to reach out to us. I think um, to go to our, our Facebook page and there's um, you know, a way to contact us through that. We can add anyone to our mailing list um, if they wanna you know, reach out and let us know. Um, we do post the meetings um, so they're on the town, you know, the, the posting of all meetings. So that's, it's, it's very public. Um, people can look there for the, uh, information and the zoom link. Um, so that's, those are ways to get involved. Um, somebody can just reach out to me. Um, we can, we can share my email address. I'm actually the chair of the coalition right now. Corey Mashburn, who people may know is the co-chair, um, vice chair. Um, so either of us would be happy to uh, add anyone to the mailing list and we can make sure you know about upcoming events. And again, once COVID is under control, you know, we'll get back to being out doing more uh, community events. I will share that we are doing something right now um, in collaboration with the Senior Center because we uh, are aware, but we're really interested in people of all ages. We're, our grant is related to prevention. We do have a grant, which we um, are about in the fourth, we're in the 
we're about in the last year and a half of our five-year grant. Um, we have a SAMHSA grant, um, Drug-Free Communities Grant. But right now we're actually working with the Senior Center to provide um, visitation to seniors who are have been isolated and really have not been able to leave their homes in nine months. And it's pretty tough on them. And we're aware too that, you know, substance use and abuse can happen at any age. So we, we care about our seniors as well. We care about their mental health and their well-being. So we're just doing some little visits on behalf of the Senior Center. And by the way, the Senior Center has been amazing through this time. And um, they have really reached out to their community. And uh, one of the things we're doing right now is um, there are about five of us on the coalition who uh, wanted to go out and visit um, people who are who really not been able to to connect a lot. And um, sort of just dropping by a small gift from the senior center, saying a quick hi outdoors at a socially distance, you know, uh, it, it socially distance. And then just making some phone calls and checking in with our the people that we're, we're assigned to visit. Uh, and that's been gratifying. And again, like I said, I just wanted to do something, even something that small. So, so like I said, some people are currently still doing the homeless visits. We're doing the visits to the elderly. Um, we're hopefully, hopefully gonna get some uh, virtual education up and available for folks. Um, so those are some of the, acts, the things we're doing during the, the uh, pandemic. Um, you know, that's wonderful. You're reaching out to the seniors. I think now, you, like you said, it's hard for them. They can't, unfortunately, see their family as much as possible. Um, they can't go out and join the groups they do or have social outings. And it's just, it's hard on us, but I can't imagine how hard it is for them. So yeah. dependent on such outings and part of their routines, and now it's all at a standstill. So, you know, like you said, the outdoor visits, I'm sure, makes a huge impact on their day. Just something to look forward to and get them dressed and something to think about for the day. So that that's wonderful of you. And, you know, maybe we should all consider something like that. Maybe do a pen pal to a senior or just something to say, hey, we're thinking about you. Well, if anybody is interested in volunteering to be a pen pal or make a phone call, um, I'm sure the Senior Center, you know, could... You know, put put you in touch, and uh, so if anybody's looking to do something like that again, I think we're all looking for meaning right now in connection. Uh, so it's not just for the people. I mean, I was sort of thinking, well, you know, I'll meet some new people, and it'll be kind of fun to get to know somebody. And I personally enjoy people who are older and their stories and their life, you know, um, experiences. You learn so much. It can be a very mutually beneficial kind of relationship. Um, you know, maybe maybe people know of a neighbor who's lonely um, and not getting much out much outreach. And it could be that simple, just to knock on their door and drop off some banana bread and just see how they're doing, um, or or even leave a note. And that's I think that's the part of the small community in Stoneham knowing everybody is they're making that effort. I see all around signs in people's windows, people, you know, just writing cards. So it's wonderful that unfortunately we're in a pandemic, but thankfully we're taking the time to think about how we can help others who are less fortunate or just don't have the option to socially gather with others and their family. Um, but that's wonderful that you guys are doing that. And hopefully as the pandemic dies down, you guys are able to do the next few steps and your outreach that you plan to do. 
in terms of that, you know, how does the coalition support the youth? How does the youth get involved with your great, um, coalition? Wonderful uh, question. We have um, uh, a youth coalition. Now, I will say, I believe it's been pretty tough this year to connect with them because it's only been virtual. And I, I think, again, just like seniors, young people really, they need that. And, and developmentally, they need that connection with each other, uh, that physical connection. But I believe we're still connecting with them. We do actually have a teacher at the high school, Pat Healy, who has worked very closely with our youth coordinator um, to try to kind of keep, stay connected with the kids. Um, so what we really have tried to do over the last few years is really build that youth coalition. Um, we do, do have a position. Um, we, we have had a position for youth coordinator, which is a part-time position. Um, the person in that role actually just recently left that role. So we are kind of doing some reorganizing. We're, we're in the midst of rethinking exactly how, what's the best way to connect with and reach out to the kids. And again, one of the things they did recently though was, uh, during the holidays, the coalition, oh, I forgot about this. We actually put together, we've done this the last few years, some um, wellness gifts, I guess you'd say, um, for people in our community. We have a recovery coach who works half-time in the community, um, Tracy Ascalillo. Uh, she um, works very closely with the police department to kind of connect with people that we are familiar with who have been um, who are in recovery or struggling or have had overdoses and with whom we've you know, been able to connect a little bit. Um, we had an outreach worker, the position kind of shifted this year to this, to the recovery coach. So this is a recovery coach is a person who's in recovery themselves and really shares that experience to help people navigate um, and just kind of find hope and kind of stay inspired. Um, and then our police department, frankly, I just have to give them a shout out. They've been phenomenal in at partners. They've been on the coalition since day one. And we have several um, police officers who are particularly engaged in sort of being proactive around mental health and wellness and recovery. Um, and so they, uh, our recovery coach and one of our uh, lieutenants, go out and check in with people and around the holidays and even into the, the fall, they kind of drop off a gift that they feel might be meaningful to that person. So the gifts were things like, um, you know, maybe some gloves or a hat for walking or like one of those like ear covering band things for just going for good walks. You things that will promote wellness, um, a little bit of like candy for the holidays. And then what we did include in many of them were um, sort of self-help books, workbooks, um, you know, books on trauma and recovering from trauma, again, just depending on, and, and, and there um, we, we actually gave a book, a couple of books to parents who've lost children to overdose. I mean, it's, it's heavy, but you know, they actually appreciated this because it, people who've been there they actually it's their reality and the book that that we shared was written by a parent of a person who died of an overdose who happens to also be a social worker and the book is you know kind of validating their experience and as a matter of fact the book you know might be useful to anybody that's lost a child in any way not necessarily just from an overdose. What is the um, title of the book and the author? If you happen to know it, if not, yeah. 
you, we can put a link in the profile for you. I'll tell you a couple of the books we ordered that I, I think some, several of them were quite good. One is called The Gift of Imperfection by Brene Brown. You've pro- you may have heard of Brene Brown. She's kind of a social influencer. Um, she has a trauma history herself. Let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. I love that one. Uh, I actually got it for myself. <laughs> the one for parents who've lost um, a child. From Heroin to Hope, Making Sense of the Loss of a Child by Marsha I. Wiggins. Finding Your Best Self is um, a workbook and it's um, recovery from addiction, trauma, or both. And it's by Lisa M. Najavitas, no, Najavitz, N-A-J-A-V-I-T-S. She actually is a UMass person. We actually work with her uh, at the Department of Mental Health. Um, she developed a whole curriculum called Seeking Safety. And this is the, uh, the workbook that is meant for the person that's in recovery. And I thought there might be one more. We actually bought several of all of those to share with people. I think those are the main ones we're using right now, but I keep looking for books to share. And um, that seemed to really feel like, you know, these, the nice thing about these kinds of books is it's not like you have to sit there and read the whole thing. You, you can kind of go in and look at a piece of it and just kind of take it in and, and think about how it may be meaningful to you and how you might maybe think differently about your journey. And I think it's nice, like you said, the books you can use personally and kind of maybe keep a journal of the experiences the person had the book and kind of relate it to your life and see how you would respond or how that interrelates to what's going on with you and find maybe some coping mechanisms on how to respond to certain incidents or certain situations that that person was in and go, oh, okay, I, I can relate to that and I'm not alone as as myself dealing with such situations. Um, it's always good, you know, any resource out there, you never know what will help anybody. So that's always helpful that you guys are offering resources and books yeah. and speakers. That's the best way. Um, how is the youth involved? The youth were great. I, I knew this was supposed to go somewhere. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, the youth actually wrote notes of encouragement that we included in these um, gifts. And they did that last year as well. And that just, I think, really made it personal. And um, also, if you think about their experience, they're thinking about addiction. And they're thinking about and they're understanding that there are people suffering and struggling in our own community. And it's really tapping into their own empathy, but hopefully getting them to start thinking about their own choices and how they want to, you know, move forward in their lives. You know, um, so the, uh, the other thing that has happened with the youth was really connecting with them and, you know, meeting with them and having them do community service projects, various different things over the last few years but also bringing in speakers for them and um, or for the whole school where they were kind of like the ones organizing it, but, you know, providing information for their um, peers. Uh, so they, they really, oh, the other thing that they did was <laughs> they attended CADCA, which is a national um, um, four-day conference or three-day conference 
um, and they have a whole youth track. So they got to meet kids from all over the country. And this was in Washington, DC, or just in Maryland, just outside of Washington, DC. And then they had a day to go in and meet with our legislators. Now, if they did that um, year before last, they couldn't obviously do it this past uh, in good old 2020, but um, 2019, a, a, a whole contingent went down with our, our youth um, faculty. That's wonderful. And what did, what was the conference all about? And what did they talk to the no. legislator about? Yes, well, they, uh, the conference is about prevention. And it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's really for coalitions across the country to come together and learn about best practices, evidence based practices. And there's one morning uh, where they go in to the Capitol to meet with legislators and they met with our, you know, our representatives um, and our senators and they were successful. They actually saw Elizabeth Warren um, and I believe they saw Ed Markey, who was a representative at the time. He was a national, you know, a, a federal representative. Um, and of course now he's a senator. And um, um, I believe they met with Catherine Clark. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was pretty cool. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what they talked about. I think they just wanted to learn from them what they were doing legislatively to try to address the opioid crisis. Um, one of the other things that the kids did a couple of years ago was put together a very cool PSA that educated people about vaping. I think that's still on the web on the uh, Facebook page. So that might be something neat to look at. Um, so they were very involved in working on the vaping issue a few years ago when we start to be, we started to become very alarmed about the usage of vaping. So it's not just about opioids. It's, it's really about addressing alcohol use, um, which is a, a pretty big issue in Stoneham. And it's something that I, I think we really need to continue to work on. Um, it's a big issue in most communities. And, um, you know, um, we conduct a YRBS youth risk assessment survey uh, every year. And that data tells us that alcohol continues to be, um, you know, a, a pretty big issue for our community. Marijuana, you know, is something else that we look at. Um, we actually do, um, um, the, the health department actually um, supports having someone come and do compliance checks with our, our stores to make sure no one is selling, you know, cigarettes or vape things to underage um, people, um, make sure they're following our bylaws around uh, tobacco control. So there's there's that that goes on as well. Um, sometimes they will um, send in a young person to do the actual, you know, purchase and see what happens and, and things like that. So there's, there's actually quite a bit that goes on uh, behind the scenes around this. That's, you know, that's wonderful to get the youth involved because they bring that firsthand experience of what's going on in social circles in the school. You know, I was going to ask you with the whole vaping thing, what have the youth kind of given their perspective and their opinions on it and what is going on? I didn't work directly with the youth. So, you know, that's a great question. I'll try to see what I can learn about that and at least get back to you. We, you know, I don't know if it's something you have a mechanism for sharing 
um, some of the answers that I can't, the things I can't respond to, right? Of course. Now. Yeah, we can follow up on that. It's just, you know, unfortunately, it's unfortunate yeah. that that's yeah. something, you know, back in the day was smoking. Yeah. And now they have these vaping and flavor vapes, and yeah. it's just a whole nother thing to worry about. Cause you know, I was talking in one of my past podcasts with Matt Gannum, who is um, in recovery. Oh, yeah. He's a wonderful man. He and he, you know, he said it, people kind of commercial society promotes alcohol. They, you know, oh. um, marijuana is legal they promote it in terms of that and it's tough to distinguish the differences between cbd and marijuana for younger people because they're like oh cbd is a medicine it's healing so i'm going to just do marijuana so it's tough to distinguish that difference um so and even vaping every you know everyone's doing it and it, they say quote unquote it's safer than cigarettes so it's there's have you noticed there's something in addition to just opioids that's kind of hitting the teens harder as well? Um, I don't know about the teens per se, but I am hearing that methamphetamine is a very, very addictive um, and it's kind of resurfaced a little bit in the last couple of years and it's a very tough addiction. Not hearing necessarily that our teens are doing it, but some other, some young adults are um, and are in recovery for that as well. So that's one thing. Um, uh, I'm not sure of anything kind of newer coming in um, at this time, but you know, uh, honestly, like I said, alcohol is one of our one of our big issues. I, we shouldn't take it for granted because I think there's a tendency to think that you know, well, everybody kind of goes through that, and the, the problem is, you know, some people are just at high risk of addiction, um, right? And and the, and the earlier they start, the more likely they are. So that's really what the whole prevention piece is and just trying to have this conversation with kids. But it's tough, you know, to have that conversation because, you know, they'll say, and and my kids too said it, you know, just like, oh, mom, everybody does it. And it's like, it, it was hard. And, I, and I'm going to just say this about myself. I was definitely a head in the sand type of person for a long time. So matter of fact, when my kids were in middle school, and I just tell you all to listen to this, they would sort of say, there are drugs everywhere in Stone. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I go to these all these soccer games and, you know, all these kids and youth, you know, we have youth sports is like huge here, dance. And, and I met such great families and such great kids that I just thought, well, it must be very fringy. It can't possibly be directly impacting my kids. And then, you know, come to find out that it was the beginning of some stuff that really became problematic in high school and beyond. And um, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to know it. That's, I didn't want to know it. I didn't want to think it. And I think that part of going back to your, one of your original questions, part of why I needed to join the coalition is I needed to learn. And there's a lot for us to continue to learn. Um, and your questions are really good. Are there new things kind of popping up? I'll see what I can find out from our youth faculty member. I'll, I'll, I'll check with Pat. And because I think it's really important. Things do kind of creep in and, you know, we need to know, and we need to know what to look for. Um, you know, we need to know what, what, you know, what to be aware of and how to respond. I do want to share something that happened one day when I was at an educational thing. Um, you know, it was like, um, I think it was the DA's annual event. She did a, a big educational thing for the 
the region and uh, we had a table there and um, we had the um, hidden in plain sight display out and a, somebody, a parent kind of pulled me aside because I just want to tell you um, what happened with my, um, my son. He says he, he carried a backpack everywhere he went. When he in the house, he would never put it down. It would be in his room. It would be locked in his car and there were no spare keys. And um, come to find out that was a sign that he was, he had, he had drugs in his backpack um, and he had an opioid issue. And um, I just point that out because I thought that was really interesting. It was a, something I had never heard anybody talk about before. So if someone is keeping their purse or their backpack with them 24 seven, that may be a red flag. Maybe not, but I just, again, it's easy to want to not know. It's right. common. We it's want the so idyllic simple. life. It's a yeah. backpack and you would think they can carry a backpack, but like you said, you kind of just, you become aware of, oh, they're carrying it all the time. And you know, when I'm around town driving, I see kids with backpacks everywhere and they're not in school. And I, and you know, when I was in school, I never wanted to carry a backpack because I didn't want to bring my books home. But now it's so different, you, you know, they're carrying their phones, they're carrying their nice shoes or they, yeah. and yeah, you know, but that's, I mean, something, something as simple as that in your coalition making parents, residents, just anyone of any age aware of that is yeah. just so helpful and it may save a life, one, two, you never know. Um, and it's, it's having the coalition, you know, what is the goal for the future for you guys? Do you have something? Well, we're doing some structuring right now um, to try to, you know, we, um, we're trying to um, kind of identify a couple priorities each year rather than, it, it, it's hard because we have had a very broad brush scope, I will say. Um, prevention is really the piece that's connected more to the um, um, to the grant. So prevention is always going to be a part of our work and, and especially a big part of what we do with the, the kids, with the youth coalition um, and with teaching parents and, and, and all of that. But prevention is a more of a long range goal. It's, it's something that takes time to change stigma and communication and culture and education. Um, and I think what we really love in this coalition is our, our outreach. And, and outreach to people of all ages of, of our community. Um, so that's something that's kind of unique to us. That's really the grassroots beginning of this was to deal with people in addiction. Um, so not just prevention, we're not limiting ourselves to that. We, we very much care about people who are struggling and suffering and we want to um, support them in, in ways that we want to um not marginalize them or that their needs them as humans we want we see them as fully human and very much of you know can be us any of us and and that's just that's a really a shared value that we have and um you know we we don't know why people are on the journey they're on and we don't we don't know what happened um and i think that's one of the principles that Brene brown talks a lot about I love, and I'll maybe I'll you know we'll close with this, but just thinking about instead of thinking about what's wrong with people, think about what happened to people. So instead of what's wrong with you, what happened to you? 
and having a little empathy. And then that kind of enables you to engage in ways that can be supportive and maybe give somebody some hope and a, just a hand up onto a different path. I think that's a wonderful way to just look at everyone in the world instead of judging and looking at them and saying, oh, what happened to you? You dress like this now. It's the story behind it, what is going on mentally and what has happened in the past, present, and just what's going on at that time may be in it a reason to why certain things are happening. Um, in terms, you mentioned just a few more things. You mentioned that research studies, what kind of research studies are you guys kind of looking into in regards to that? I saw that on your site. Well, we, um, we are informed by evidence-based practices and evidence-based practices are those um, interventions that um, have been proven through data to be um, um, effective. So that's really what I mean by that. Um, you know, there's, um, there's always research going on. Um, and in fact, that's sort of SAMHSA and um, uh, the National Institutes of Health, NIH, are, are constantly looking at different um, evidence-based practices. But one of, one of the evidence-based practices that uh, I know at the Department of Mental Health, where I work, um, we use a lot with uh, both people with mental illness and people with substance use issues is motivational interviewing. So if somebody's kind of curious about an evidence-based practice, a lot of the practice in this work is about interactional skills and kind of how you really listen and you really um, um, empower people um, to kind of um, establish their own goals and their own recovery journey and understand kind of what their aspirations are and, and, and what, uh, what motivates them. So motivational interviewing is about listening to people in a way that's not natural. It's actually not natural to be a good listener. It's actually very hard to be a good listener. And when you practice it, which is part of what this whole um, methodology is, when you practice it, you actually can take um, a person's recovery can go way farther down the road because you're really engaging with them in a certain way. And it's, it sounds kind of obvious or straightforward, but it really does. There's like a, a skill set and a framework that you use. So that's just an example of an evidence-based practice around substance use. Um, there are, you know, a number of different things, though, that um, the um, seeking safety is an evidence-based practice. You know, the book I mentioned, the workbook I mentioned, um, that's actually based on an evidence-based practice. So, um, That's interesting. You know, it's funny you say that when it comes to being a good listener. We all think we're great listeners and you go into an interview and someone's like, which one are your best assets? And you're like, oh, I'm a great listener. Um, but in a sense, you know, it's, I think we're all, there's always something going in our mind continuously. We are listening, but we're exactly. always thinking of the next thing to say or the right thing to say continuously. Um, so that's just, you know, maybe we should all get training <laughs> no matter what job you have to be a listener and be an active listener per se in that sense. Um, is there anything else about the coalition you wanted to mention? Um, again, just uh, we have so many partners in this community, um, and I probably failed to mention some of them, but again, many of the businesses and, um, you know, we're, we're a work in progress. We're always trying to kind of reflect and make sure that we're doing things that are, you know, useful and meaningful to the community. 
Um, sometimes they're really little things, but it, it just feels good to be connected to something um, that um, so many um, caring people are supporting. And um, again, I think for me, it's that alone I felt helpless and together um, I kind of feel like maybe I can make a small difference. And that's really the, kind of the bottom line for, I think for many of us on the coalition. And that's wonderful. I think just, you know, having a coalition itself is a step to helping anybody in certain situations and just knowing there's someone out there to support you guys. So the best way to contact is probably through email and checking out your website and social media and so forth. Um, so thank you, Carol, for being on the show. It's been wonderful learning. And, you know, I don't know how many people were aware that there's been a coalition. I'm sure a lot of people are, but just, you know, putting it out there to Stoner residents or any residents locally in need to know there is something out there and maybe you could connect them to other coalitions in their location. Um, so thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. And once again, guys, this is Carol from the Stoneham Coalition for Safe and Healthy Community in please take time to follow their website, their Facebook, they're very active on and be on the lookout for future events that they will be hold, holding in person eventually as the time comes and virtually. And just, you know, thank you for you and your team. I think it's very needed everywhere we go in every community. So it's hard. I know it's hard to get those feelings and be vulnerable and let people know your story, but as you said, I'm sure it's changing lives, whether you can see it right now or in the future. So thank you for everything you guys do and all your team members and opening it to the youth and allowing them to take part in it. And that's a huge thing as well. So thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah, so guys, thank if you, you ever want to reach out, I will post up their few books. If Carol wants to send that over, the books of the resources she mentioned in the podcast and a few links to how to get in touch. Once again, this is Allison from The Locally Source, and this was Carol from the Coalition of Safe and Healthy Community. I hope everyone has a wonderful Sunday and stays warm. Bye.